0: or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. You are listening to me on WBCA LP102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So as always, we have a lot to kind of unpack to delve into. And so I want to talk about two issues that I talk about a fair amount, um, one in particular I've been talking about extensively in the last few shows, and the other it's just been kind of uh, a, a, a staple, if you will, in the, the roster of topics that I really like to address so I want to talk about the Massachusetts Republican Party, and I want to talk about methadone mile. So I'll start with the Massachusetts Republican Party. So at the moment, the situation is very toxic. It's very difficult to run as a Republican in this state in general But it's particularly difficult with a chair such as Jim Lyons. Now, I do think that we will have some success. We do have some strong candidates. We have some great candidates. So I'm very excited about the prospects that we do have. But I'm sad and angered at once because we don't have more prospects, that we don't have more to look forward to. And I want to start with talking about the 7th Congressional District. When I stood up to run in 2020, I had a platform. I had a plan to address Method O'Myle, and it was a realistic plan because I spoke about it within the framework of what I could actually do as a congresswoman. I had an extensive plan to address the educational issues that we are, have been experiencing that are particularly, I think, grave and it was called, or it is called Foundation 10. And it focused on, or it focuses on, two phases in a child's life. So there 0 through 5, and then 10 through 15. And I just, I went into such great detail with my plans. I could talk about foreign policy, I spoke about crime. I spoke about a number of social issues, including, but of course, not limited to food insecurity, bigotry of different kinds, just the overall quality of life and what I saw as ways to improve upon it in the district. And people who are less familiar with Massachusetts politics but know that it's very much a blue state, but that doesn't mean it's a left-wing state. It's just it's a very blue state. And I'll explain that with a small parenthesis. When you don't have candidates to run ever, People certainly can't vote for what they don't have. They can't make a choice based on what they don't have. So, of course, we field candidates, We, you know, the Massachusetts Republican Party, for the four-year statewide offices. But in some parts of the state, like mine, there are very, very rarely um, Republican candidates that stand up to run. And it really is a terrible shame. It is a terrible shame because I'm tired of politicians like Anissa Sabi-George, former Boston City Councilor Anissa Sabi-George, and current Boston City Councilor Aaron Murphy who will regurgitate what are Republican talking points, talking points that appeal to a more moderate conservative crowd. And these two women are neither moderate nor conservative. I would rather someone who actually goes through those talking points and does it from a place of conviction then have people who are just going to just talk about things because it in, in such a way to appeal to a certain demographic. I just, I'm tired. And I think that's going to be what people pick up on throughout this show is that I'm tired. But to get back to the point that I was making, in this part of the state, We never, ever have Republican candidates. Uh, Maybe once in a great, 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 great blue moon we'll have someone to stand up. But it's pretty much for city council. And again, even that's rare. And there's no need of it. There's none. But the reason why I spoke about everything that I did when I ran for Boston uh, Boston City Council, when I ran for Congress, (coughs) is because I didn't just stand up to run. I didn't run on a whim, a lark. I took it very seriously. And I went well outside my comfort zone. And I know... That had I not stood up to run in 2020, there would have been no candidates, let alone three or four, because there were. There were no less, I kid you not, there were no less than four Republicans. And quite frankly, that disgusts me because we routinely ignore this part of the state. If I actually took all the different elected offices and went, talked about them, went went down a list one by one, I'm pretty sure that most of those offices, we haven't seen a Republican candidate for them in 20 to 30 years. Such Is the situation in this part of Massachusetts, right here in Boston and the surrounding areas, but particularly here in Boston. Yet when I finally stand up to run, there are three or four people who stand up to run as well. And it's the typical, we want to keep the pond small because we want to remain big fish mentality that far too many Republicans have. And incidentally, these are the same Republicans that if you were to ask them why they were Republican, they really couldn't give you any kind of meaningful answer. But I suppose that's a topic for another time. But again, I am describing Everything that I did to prepare, that I offered, that I proposed when I stood up, I spoke about, was ready to speak about all the municipalities in the congressional district, as one would hope to see, as one would expect. Yet, the Massachusetts Republican Party the people that they've backed have been particularly bad i mean really really bad so much so that it's actually insulting because the party under its current leadership it's saying that we don't deserve real representation We're not taking seriously our needs and concerns. And now, of course, I'm not speaking as a Republican, a proud Republican. I'm speaking as a proud Bostonian. But obviously the idea is that we don't deserve anything serious. We don't deserve any kind of real representation. And not only that... But the party has chosen to run people who have nothing else to bring to the table other than their skin color. And I have a problem with that. Now, I'm going to say that, obviously, we need diversity in politics. But I'm not just talking about racial, ethnic and gender, you know, seeing more women. I'm also talking, obviously, politically and intellectually. Having said that, I'm also going to assert that, yes, notwithstanding everything I just said, it is nice to see people of different racial and ethnic backgrounds holding office. But here's the thing regardless of color, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of political or intellectual proclivities, one has to be able to say, these are my qualifications for the office that I seek. Rayla Campbell does not have qualifications, really, for any public office. She doesn't seem to understand the different levels of government and how they work independently, but also how they work together. That's another thing. I wanted to be sure when I gave answers to the people whose votes I sought that I could give them realistic answers. So I want to draw people's attention to the point I made about what I could do, say, regarding methadone mile within the capacity of being a congresswoman. It's very important to give answers that mean something, that are accurate. So substantive, accurate. I don't want to just talk. I don't want to... Deflect. I don't want to pander. I don't want to do any of those things. I didn't in 2020. I didn't before 2020. And I'm still not doing it. And I never will. I wanted to give good, smart answers. So again, I took the time to brush up on just how the different levels of government work together and what I could do to maybe make things work a little bit better. However big or small my contribution could have been, I wanted to be part of making things better overall. So yes, I put a lot of thought into running. And it's funny for me to see now all these people who talk about the different levels of government You'll hear uh, a Boston City councilor talking about money coming from the federal government and, you know, what he or she is going to do with that money. What he or she is going to do with that money. What he or she would like to advocate for in terms of where that money should be spent, where it should be allocated. That's That's a more appropriate way to phrase it. But yeah, I really, I stood up and I I tried to do something good. I I tried to run a campaign of substance and I was very much a one-woman show. Very much so. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the point, again, is that Rayla Campbell, she was run by the party in 2020 She literally has no qualifications. She she literally had no qualifications for Congress. Didn't know any of the issues. Didn't even know about, you know, the growing sentiment. Back the police, defund the police. She wasn't even aware of, you know, the different conflicts, the different debates of the day. Nothing. She just stood up and said, hey, I'm going to run for office. And initially she was going to run for state rep, but she was recruited to run against me, to kneecap me. Now, I'm sure there are people who are who are listening and saying, what? Come on. But, you know, I, I come with receipts. I don't just make statements. I don't delight in being a bomb thrower. Never have. If I say something, it's because I have reasonable, I have, you know, a a good reason. I have a reasonable belief that something is true. I have some proof that would certainly speak to the veracity of my perspective of how I saw a particular thing occur or what I think is happening, what I think is occurring. So I don't just throw out statements. Now, I also say, or should I say respect that there are not only going to be people who might say, ah, come on, Rachel, it can't be that bad. Was she really recruited to sabotage your campaign. And then you might have people who will, a will, vigorously contest that. They will do their utmost to refute what I said. And you know what? All of that's fine. Because this is the marketplace of ideas, freedom of thought. And so my goal in doing this show and doing television And all the years that I've been doing Bostonian rap, and I started in 2008, and uh, a little bit of trivia, I actually started off as a music show. (laughs) That's right, because I absolutely love music, different types of music. Um, But then I transitioned to doing talk. But in all the years that I've been doing Bostonian rap, uh, I've always tried to be fair, And I invite people to engage with me. If you don't agree with what I'm saying, then, you know, let's sit down or reach out, you know, offer your perspective. I I mean, I expect it to be reasoned. I don't expect it to be uh, someone just insulting me or, 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 you know, shout. You know the online version of shouting at me or, or heaven forbid if we're in person shouting at me. Uh, you know, but it's 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 a marketplace of ideas, and I respect that and I value that so i I always welcome what other people um want to say what they want to contribute to the conversation that I either wholly initiated or partially initiated. But yeah, I'm going to assert that Rayla Campbell was recruited to kneecap me. One thing that's a little harder to refute is that Jim Lyons never mentioned me. He never promoted me. And when media outlets such as the Boston Herald, and then you, of course, have the New Boston Post, which is a, a smaller online publication and it caters to a conservative audience. The New Boston Post just, you know, Rayla Campbell is the only candidate running for office. Oh, okay. The closest I got to getting a mention by the Boston Herald. was when Lisa Kaczynski, at the time she was working for the Boston Herald, she's a local reporter for those who are less familiar with uh, the local media scene, uh, she was the closest, she, she came the closest to actually mentioning me. And all she said was, Rayla Campbell was the preferred candidate, which of course implies that there is another candidate or candidates. I say all this, it's not about, and I'll be brutally honest, it's not about being bitter because if it had been a hard fart race, then that's what it is. It's a hard fart race. But this is something else. And there was a lot of malice there was a lot of underhanded behavior, and the same behavior that has been pretty f- widely reported in and around Boston, and a lot of people in the political world are talking about it too. The behavior, the shabby behavior, that uh, Republican state candidate, uh, Republican uh, candidate for state auditor Anthony Mori is facing, um, being met with. Just imagine that times 10, because that's what I endured. And it, it, was, it was very tough. So again, if it had been a matter of, it was a hard fought campaign, maybe even very hard fought, and Rayla Campbell prevailed, well, you know what? So be it. But that's not at all what happened. And at every step of the way, there were concerted efforts to hobble me. And I say all this because I'll never stop stressing that. For me, when I stood up to run, I was very much stepping outside of my comfort zone. But I could no longer stand what I saw happening. And for years... I had been making a difference in one capacity. And so I said, I've got to stand up and make a difference in another way. And this was the way that I settled upon. And because there hadn't been any Republican representation for so long, I felt in some ways that I along with any of the other all the other candidates rather and the current leadership of the Massachusetts Republican Party i felt like we had a particularly a particularly big challenge ahead of us and that we had to really have great platforms and wonderful ideas and be very engaging and be fabulously innovative. I really felt that because for a lot of people, this was their first real brush with Republican candidates right here locally. And instead... What we got was a sideshow. Rayla Campbell got in several street brawls. Not once during that particular campaign, if you can call it that, not once did she drop a platform, present a platform, drop plans, detailed or otherwise. She never spoke at length about any of the issues. And that was by design because she didn't know them. Fast forward to 2022, I had pulled papers, I thought about running, I was going to run, I was collecting signatures, and then I said, you know, I can't. I had a decision to make. It was presented to me. Um, I had a decision to make. Family, friends said, Rachel, what are you going to do? Are you going to fulfill some long-held dreams that have been put to one side? because you have spent all these years of advocacy? Are you going to continue that advocacy? And not that family and friends were unhappy with the advocacy work that I had done or that they were trying to diminish it, not at all, but it was what can you realistically do? And if you have a job, you have to be committed to the job. You can't run for office and be committed to your job. Now, I know in some places, whether it's here or elsewhere, people manage to work and run for office. But it's largely unfeasible. And depending on what you do, it's just you can't do it for a variety of reasons. And so I chose to work on my career. And I don't regret it at all because I can still give back in other ways. But I have to say that I don't find Donnie Palmer any better than Rayla Campbell. I think he's the male version of Rayla Campbell. I'm sorry, but it's humiliating, it's embarrassing to see Republican candidates get into fistfights. And the only candidates that are getting into fistfights are Black. We don't see white candidates getting into fistfights So why is that acceptable? Are we going to stand up and speak out against that? And are we going to stand up and speak about what is really an even bigger issue? Not that racism, because I consider that racism, uh, you know, encouraging behavior from one group of people that you would never even tolerate from another. So I I definitely consider that racism on the part of the party leadership, the current party leadership of the Massachusetts Republican Party. But I think an even bigger issue, or as big of an issue, is how could we run people of such poor caliber? How could we run people that are so thoroughly pathetic and unqualified for not just the offices that they seek, but just for public office, period. And I'll remind people, you know, I, I said people, I very deliberately said people are not Republicans because the point I'm about to make is this. Freedom of thought that I referenced earlier We have that. We don't, we we can be party members of a party. We can be counted among the party faithful. That does not mean that we have to march in lockstep with whoever's running our party or the leaders. We can certainly support them, but we don't have to turn in our freedom of thought, our freedom of expression. Too many people fought and died for that. And here we are in the 21st century. If we are a card-carrying member of one of the two major political parties, we have to toe the line. But to the point where our voice becomes non-existent. It's muted. That's particularly true with the Republican Party right now. And so what I see is a party with a figure, with a uh, 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 with a chair. Jim Lyons, no coherent messaging. The caliber of the candidate does not matter. The candidate can engage in A myriad of behavior, all of which is grossly inappropriate for a candidate seeking office and just in general. But none of that's an issue as long as that person parrots Jim Lyons. Well, I'm not going to do it. And I don't think any other Republican should have to do it. As I said, it's embarrassing. I'm a proud Republican. It is embarrassing to see candidates that stand up to seek public office and they carry themselves like that. They carry themselves with so little dignity. They have no ideas, again, no platform, no relevant experience for the job. But they're fine. And the finite resources that the party has is funneled toward these candidates. It's a disgrace. And mark my words, after November 8th, between November 8th and January, which will, which will uh, be the, the time for voting for a new party chair, I believe it's in January, it's, it's going to be, it's going to prove very interesting. It's going to prove to be a very interesting period. So I trust that it's, it'll be in January. We'll see, but the bottom line is this: we need change. We need change. You know, I noticed Moore Healey's been, you know, using some of the talking points of Chris Doty, who, of course, was the other Republican candidate for governor, far superior to Jeff Deal. Far superior. Now, again, you know, someone can listen to this show and say, you know what, Rachel, I admire your passion. You obviously care. But I just simply don't agree with you. And you know what? Again, that's fine. I'm not inviting people to agree with me. I'm inviting people to entertain my perspective. And to engage in dialogue with me. And others who might share my ideas, the same ideas as I do, on a particular topic, because I'm not gonna meet someone, or I have yet to meet someone who agrees with me on everything. But yes, the matter at hand, I'm going to keep on saying this we need a viable second party. We don't have one. We are a one-party state. And the Republican Party needs a chair that's ethical, that acts without malice, that understands that his job is not to parse who is a Republican and who is not. And I actually got that from Kirsten Hughes, who, of course, was the chair of the Republican Party just before Jim Lyons, and I remember very clearly her saying that. It's, it's like I'm seeing her right now saying it, and it was at a debate uh, when she first ran for chair of the Massachusetts Republican Party, and she said that's not the job of the party chair to parse, who, and I remember her hand gestures too, to parse who is a Republican and who's not, and Kirsten was right. Kirsten was spot on. And we just need someone at the ch- at the helm who is just going to act decently, who understands the value and respecting others and by extension, respecting their individual perspectives. Now, what I want to do is, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about methadone mile. Now, uh, we do have a, a few minutes, so we can do that. I'm going to go to a quick break, uh, and then we'll come back. and Like I said, we'll talk about methadone mile, and that's a subject that really it. I become very animated uh, when I talk about that. and and I have a lot to say. so uh, that that'll definitely be a segment to listen to, so don't go too far. Uh, so but let's go to that quick break and then we'll come back and we'll just jump right on in. you hear that? This is my Boston accent. This is my Boston accent. Yeah, it is. Shh. This is my Boston accent. This is our Boston accent. Hear it for yourself. Discover your own. This is Boston, and we are all inclusive. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school. So can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hello and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. So that girl who's been (laughs) ranting—well, hopefully it didn't come across as a rant—who's been talking to you uh, for the last, say, 45 minutes, 40, 45 minutes or so, it's me, Rachel Meiselman, uh, coming to you every week from WBCALP 102.9 FM, Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So— here we go on uh, the last bit, in the last few minutes of Bostonian rap. I want to talk about Methanol Mile? Now, when I went down there in 2020, and this was part of my campaign for Congress, I did a live down there, and people were like, "Whoa, what's this?" Now. There had been people who had been talking about mile or aspects of mile, but it was pretty much focused around the proliferation of needles. There was some talk about the crime, obviously the addicts, but a lot of the talk was the needles and our green spaces not being... Places where others would want to go. Places where people who are living right there can't enjoy, which is infuriating. Imagine not being able to enjoy a precious resource in your neighborhood because of people who are not from there, which is basically what is going on a methadone mile because many of the people that are there are from other parts of the state or other states. And that's because someone thought it was appropriate, thought it was a good idea to talk about how many resources Boston has. But let me tell you something. At this point in time, Boston does not, have resources. It does not. At the very least, it doesn't have resources to the extent that city leaders and elected officials have been claiming. And the way we've been framing the talk about methadone mile, it's also, it's, it's maddening. We talk about addiction and homelessness. We should not do that. We should talk about addiction. Let me explain why. Depending upon the extent of one's addiction, one very well might be homeless. But not being... not having a home because of a ferocious ravaging addiction is not anywhere near the same as being homeless because the cost of living is so exorbitant in Boston and throughout Massachusetts. In fact... There are other states, at least there's at least one other state, Ohio, and some of you might remember this, Chris Doty, he raised this issue that there's even at least another state or states that have decided to recruit members of Massachusetts workforce because it's recognized that people are well trained here, they access to education. The plethora of educational opportunities, and so that's yielded obviously some very profound fruit. It's 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 created a sizable workforce that really just allows. Massachusetts to be able to do so many different great and wonderful things. But because of the cost of living, a lot of people are choosing to go elsewhere. And also people are choosing to go elsewhere because they're tired of not having that representation. Isn't that funny? That is it, ha, -ha, but funny isn't sad that people are also leaving because of the lack of political representation. And we're talking about people who come from parts of the Commonwealth where they do have the odd state rep, representative or state senator. In sharp contrast to here in Boston, where it's, it's just everyone's a Democrat. And I have no problems with Democrats. Clearly not. But it's a matter of having balance. That's the problem we don't have it at present. But the point, of course, the subject, uh, the the segment, the point, of course, is methadone mile. And people can't keep up with the cost of living. And so unfortunately, you have people who, (laughs) it's amazing, really, but in such a profoundly horrible way, you have people who are employed and they get up every morning and they present themselves at work. They put in a good day worth of work and then they go home except they don't have any place to go to. They don't have a drug problem or an alcohol problem They just can't afford housing because the housing market is so crazy in Boston. Boston's what? Still in the top three most expensive rental markets in the nation? That's horrible. And then, of course, that impacts other areas that are other municipalities that are not far from Boston but again it's just throughout massachusetts it's the the cost of living just to get around from day to day it's just it's 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 dreadfully dear so unbelievably expensive but the point don't conflate addiction with the homelessness problem again one of the consequences of an overwhelming addiction, a ravaging addiction, is someone can be a lot of people can find themselves homeless. But again, to conflate that is very wrong because if we pump money into a a group of buildings and How's people who are addicts, who are in the throes of a a terrible, a terrible fight. What is that doing for the people who don't have addiction problems, but just can't keep up with their day-to-day expenses because everything has, has become so, as I said, dear, so expensive. So that's one thing. Another thing is what I noticed is after I went down there it wasn't long before other people found their way down there. And some of the people as I said they had been saying they hadn't been they hadn't been silent they uh, they hadn't been absent they, they were there but What they were saying was more structured, and it was more PR savvy. And quite honestly, it was more destructive, I'll use that word, I'll use that strong of a word, to the cause. And the cause, of course, is doing something concrete about methadone mild, because it just... A lot of people went down there and it just, it became a free-for-all. I did something wonderful today. What'd you do? Oh, I went down there with some pizzas. Uh, A methanol mile. Oh my gosh, did you really? Oh, I went down, I gave out some clothes. Oh my gosh, did you, oh my, you are awesome. No, a lot of these people are self-serving. And so when you have all these people down there and they are being self-serving and everything is geared toward, listen to me, look what I'm doing, it becomes hard for the people who actually do know what's going on, like the police, for instance, and a few, I don't know if you'd want to call them activists, but people who are, shall we say, aware and present, but not as obsequious about it, (laughs) It, you know, it it makes it harder for them to be heard. It makes it much harder for them to be heard. And it's a shame because here's the thing, going down there and feeding people on methadone mile, I could see it, to some extent, during the pandemic because it was particularly brutal for for us all. But going down there on a regular basis, feeding people down there, it's enabling them. They don't need food. They need treatment. They don't need clothes. Well, I mean, some of them do need clothes. But my point, of course, is that they need treatment. on that day. And I think that if people are going to go down there and feed them and clothe them, but they can't advocate for them getting treatment, then they can sit all the way down because they're doing it for themselves. On some level, they're doing it for themselves. And as an extension of that point, if they can't, talk about the whole ecosystem of methadomile, the schools, our poor little babies that have to see this. Can you imagine a seven-year-old having to see people stumbling around as if they were extras in a zombie movie? How is that appropriate for children? In fact, there are two uh, schools right there on Mile that are attended by elementary school age children. One of the the schools has a needle, uh, what would you call it? It's it's, um, a bin, if you will, and you can deposit your needles there. Who thought that was a good idea? Really, no, who thought that that was a good idea? That's disgusting. What are you saying about the value of that school? And the children and the educators in it, what are you saying about what they are worth? And then there's another school that's just right. I mean, the schools are like, they're like, what, a a two-minute walk, if that. These schools, uh, one from the other. Um, But there's the other one uh, is actually facing a park that uh, regularly features people shooting up. Um, publicly urinating or defecating. It's just, it's, again, it's, the city's allowed this. Many of our elected officials have allowed this. And it's, it's appalling. And I don't quite frankly know how some people get to bed at night. I really don't. Because as an elected official, on the city council, or on Beacon Hill, or in the mayor's office, you are in a position to say and do something. I love how people are always talking about the police, the police, the police, the police. Let me tell you a little something. If it were not for the police... Method O'Myle all these people who want to go down there with their food and clothes they wouldn't be able to do it okay thank the police thank the police for keeping it the place from totally erupting into absolute Unmitigated chaos. You know, I said during my twenty twenty campaign that the only thing standing between our streets in chaos, methadone mile and chaos, is our men and women in blue. And that's still true. But you can also thank the politicians for doing nothing. And this latest focus on Clifford Park, which is a green space, a park uh, on Method Mile. Why are we focusing on Clifford Park? It's not Clifford Park. For my friends, I know two wonderful people who live right there, and my heart breaks for them, and I pray for their safety all the time. And they should be able to enjoy that park. It is in their neighborhood. It is a resource. It is a precious resource that they should, again, be able to enjoy. But the issue is not Method-O-M- uh Clifford Park, rather. It's Methodon Mile and the whole ecosystem. What about the businesses? What about the businesses that are losing money because people don't want to go shop there or eat there because of everything that's happening? Um, they... Businesses that are losing merchandise, retail, because why? It's being stolen. And then they further have to cut into their profits by hiring security. And as bad as it is, a methadone mile, apparently it's not bad enough for these do nothing, good for nothing politicians. Because why? Because we have another methadone mile. And get this, cats and (laughs) cadets. It's right around City Hall. That's right. In downtown Boston, we now have a second methadone mile. And absolutely no one, and I mean no one, is talking about that. The only one who was acknowledging that was Sandy Zamora-Kalix, who ran for sheriff, and myself, and maybe one or two other people. The time to do something is now. And I applaud Michael Flaherty for calling an emergency hearing. But that's got to be the first step. So much more needs to be done. But that's all I have time for. I thank you so much for listening. And I hope to hang out with you, of course, next week. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network At 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119, attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at BNNTV.org.